Maximize cloud efficiency would do it. The trusted partner in multi-cloud management for thousands of companies worldwide. Visit doit.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. Do it. Your cloud simplified. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And uh, today you've got Ethan Banks and uh, Ned Bellavance. We're chatting about the VMware Broadcom acquisition with our very special guest, Justin Warren, who's done lots of analysis and thinking about this as he puts it, thorny situation, Ned. Yeah, and the conclusion, I don't want to spoil it, is that Broadcom kind of has the VMware customers over a barrel. But why and what they can do about it? Well, that's what we explore with Justin. And all is not lost. Uh, Enjoy this conversation with Justin Warren, because again, all is not lost. You have options. You have options. There's just how much money do you want to spend? Here we go. Justin Warren, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Tell the nice people out there who you are and what you do. Well, thank you. And I'm Justin Warren. I'm the founder and principal analyst at Pivot9, tech consultants and analysts. And I turn snark into leverage. Is that an official company (laughs) tagline? I love it. Snark into leverage. But it possibly should be. (laughs) That is great. Well, okay. What's your snarky take on what's happened with Broadcom and VMware? There was an acquisition. Would you summarize it for everyone? Yeah. So Broadcom, who people might know from networking components, uh, particularly fiber channel componentry, um, they have been growing by acquisition over period of years. They have also recently bought Symantec and a bunch of other companies. So they bought VMware, the whole company for $69 billion by the end of everything. It took a little while to get going. There were some uh, concerns about maybe Chinese regulators wouldn't allow it to occur, but it did. And when the deal closed, uh, yes, $69 billion dues is what happened. And there were a lot of concerns that people had about Broadcom buying VMware based on what they've done to previous companies that they've acquired, their usual playbook. And now we're finding out what the reality is. And that is the first question, based on what we know of of previous Broadcom acquisitions, uh, Computer Associates, CA, yet another one uh, of those in that fold. What can we assume about this acquisition considering past Broadcom acquisition behavior? The whole point of doing this is to make more money for Broadcom. So that will be both revenues and profits. Generally, the playbook is that they will cut out things that aren't performing very well. The stuff that's not making enough money will either get sold off or just killed. And generally, Broadcom starts to squeeze the customers that it likes, which is the high-end enterprise, uh, squeeze them for more money. The theory is that they're delivering sufficient value to those companies that it's worth paying for. And Broadcom generally views some of these companies as undercharging for what they deliver. And based on the early results so far, That's what we're seeing them do with VMware. That sounds like the ruthless approach. This isn't about, let's say, sometimes you do an aqua hire. You you acquire someone to bring in certain kinds of talent because of other products you want to build within your organization. This isn't that. This is purely about cash flow and economics. Well, welcome to capitalism. Uh, That's generally the theory of how all of this stuff is supposed to work. Also, the the idea of like the aqua hire and stuff, that tends to happen with really small companies where Mm -hmm, you're actually just paying for the people that are there. The, The company itself and what they're selling and customers and stuff isn't actually worth very much. VMware is massive. Like it's a big, big technology company. We all know this. It's been around 20 years. It has thousands of customers. It sells technology that underpins applications that are critical for running the modern world. It's a big deal. So there's a fair bit of opportunity there to make more money out of it. Indeed. I think 
and someone can fact check me on this, but I believe this is the largest acquisition Broadcom has ever made. They've pulled off some big acquisitions in the past. You mentioned Symantec, and then there's Computer Associates as, as a few examples. Those were a little bit smaller, but they both had the same sort of embedded in enterprise applications and operations that VMware does as well. Is there anything different or special about VMware to you that stands out versus these previous acquisitions? Size and complexity, I would say. I mean, that, that's a factor of size largely. VMware has, before acquisition, it had a pretty sprawling portfolio of products. Mm -hmm. There were some sort of anchor ones, but there was a whole bunch of stuff that it did as well. And it had bought some other companies like Carbon Black. It had end user computing things. It started off in server virtualization and then expanded from there and got into networking, which was VMware acquiring then Nicero, which turned into NSX. They built their own storage system with vSAN. So they kind of touch a lot of different parts of the stack. They got into cloud or tried to on multiple occasions and have a whole bunch of bits and pieces that kind of make VMware run a bit like a cloud. And they've also gotten into Kubernetes more recently. So they have Tanzu and they, they again, bought a bunch of other companies. Hestio, I think, was the name of the one of the Kubernetes companies that they purchased. Heptio. Yeah. VMware itself grew by acquisition. So mm -hmm. um, growing by acquisition has now acquired a bunch of acquisitions through the process. It's a complicated portfolio in ways that the other ones sort of weren't, partly because some of that consolidation had already happened from those other companies doing mm -hmm. this kind of M&A process. This is a standard business thing. And CEO Hoktan of Broadcom has, as you point out, done this before. So they have a playbook. They know the kinds of companies that they're looking for. And before they even close this deal, they already had plans for what are we going to do once we've bought this? Like, what's it for? What's the plan? They already had that. <laughs> they didn't necessarily tell anyone what it was. Right. One of the things that I noticed about VMware as it was doing its various acquisitions was these were acquisitions to grow the company because to a certain degree, they had saturated the market with their vSphere product. Everyone who was likely to run vSphere was probably already running vSphere. They were tacking on bits like vSAN and NSX that they could upsell you on. But honestly, if they were looking for new markets, it wasn't going to be in that area. They kind of have had that one cornered. So I feel like they did their acquisitions to build out a broader portfolio that they could sell into if you're already using vSphere. That's a pretty standard thing, you know, build or buy. If it's cheaper to buy it rather than build it yourself, then you buy one and then you just bolt it into what you're already doing. It's faster, you get more money, and sometimes you get a better product because someone else can build it better than you. Right. I don't see that as Broadcom's playbook. And maybe you can speak to that a little bit of how they're going to treat VMware going forward in terms of innovation and kind of trying to figure out and rationalize what's part of the VMware portfolio. Well, they did talk up the idea of like innovation, which is this broad buzzword that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Novelty and new stuff, <laughs> things that are different and new is kind of what it means. Mm -hmm. But that like innovation can just be, well, maybe we just do what we're already doing a bit more efficiently, or we just stop doing some things. So with Broadcom, part of what it was going to be was we'll stop doing things that aren't really necessary. And the usual playbook is that they squeeze they do less, but more profitably. So mm. they will squeeze the existing product that 
people like and use a lot and just charge a bit more money for it. But they're also more efficient about how they charge that money. So get rid of a whole bunch of stuff that isn't really necessary when you're not going to invest a lot in that area of the business. So R&D and things. If this is a mature market, so well, there's not a lot of room left for changing it that much incrementally. So that's the sort of innovation that it is. It's incremental stuff. And that's what we already saw with VMware. Great ripe for acquisition. But there's also some opportunities there, particularly around the more the forward-looking cloud things that VMware was already trying to do. I'm thinking particularly about the Tanzu portfolio here, but also on the cybersecurity side. So those are two areas that we know are growing more generally in the market. VMware doesn't have a great presence in terms of market share of Kubernetes, for example. Mm -hmm. That's growing really strongly. And also cybersecurity is generally on fire everywhere both in the positive and negative senses. So there's there's plenty of money sloshing around there. Governments are really, really keen on maybe doing something about these computers that are, are insecure. It's like, who knew? Uh, so they're starting to throw money at the problem. Most companies are quite keen to cozy up to a government free money tap. Why not? So there's opportunities there for Broadcom to stop doing a whole bunch of stuff that VMware isn't really good at and doesn't really make sense to continue doing, but then reinvest some of the money that they save from not spending it on that. They can spend it on the things where they are actually going to grow that part of the business, either in terms of new business, like new revenues, new customers. But as you point out, maybe that's already tapped out. So what we're going to do is grow share of wallet. So for the customers that are already using it, okay, you've got VMware, you're using all of these core components of it, but are you using us for cybersecurity? You've got all of these virtual machines, but you've also got containers. Are you using Tanzu? Are you putting containers on VMware or are you putting them on something else? So there's an opportunity there to have some of those companies use VMware for more things. I think there's a possible synergy here where if you look at, let's take a step back and look at the HPE Juniper acquisition. One of the plays that is supposedly going to come out of that is HPE can now walk in the door and say, we want to sell you the whole data center soup to nuts. We're going to sell you everything, the switches, the servers, the storage, all of it, build your data center. Hmm. There's some missing pieces here for Broadcom. They don't, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, they're not making servers. They make chips that go into switches, and switches can be manufactured by a whole lot of places. Let's say they buy someone else or they align with servers, then in, in some ways that they can put those uh, as part of the buy. You could go to Broadcom VMware, Broadware, and then buy, they'll sell you the whole data center because they've got the switches. They could do tighter integrations between vSwitch, NSX, and all of that, and the Broadcom switching hardware. So you get a really interesting networking layer. The server problem is solved, and all the other pieces and parts, Broadware could sell you a data center too and compete in that space, soup to nuts. I think that's possible. It's, it seems plausible in an interesting market to get in as the repatriation conversation continues and people seem to think they want to build their own data centers again. That would be a bit tricky. That's quite a complicated change to the way VMware works. I mean, for those of us who are, I've been around VMware for a long time, one of the things that I think we all forgot was that VMware did change the nature of the tech industry quite a bit by being Switzerland. It was a kind of neutral meeting place where all of the server vendors and switch vendors and particularly storage vendors, I did a lot of storage work back in the day, 
People have forgotten, I think, just how big a deal having a common interface to all the storage arrays was with <laughs> VMware. Like before then, it was a nightmare. Everything was different. Proprietary drivers were involved. It was quite weird. VMware has for a long time, even post-acquisition by EMC, it maintained a kind of neutral stance towards all of the different vendors. So there is a lot of an install base in very large enterprises where they've already made a choice of switch or they've made a choice of particularly server hardware, getting them to change that to something else, that's not really the Broadcom play. I mean, that brings up a, an interesting part of what customers are thinking about here is switching out one thing for another to get what kind of benefit. Like if I've already got one, and particularly in enterprise, like if we picked a server vendor, we're not going to change our corporate standard just because one part of the the stack would prefer us to go with the vendor integrated thing for a specific business unit doing something new sure but enterprise infrastructure has picked hpe or dell emc or whatever our infrastructure choice is we're not going to change that choice for everything just because of you we would vastly prefer that you are compatible with our existing choice. So there will be pressure from those big companies to say, yeah, look, you want to sell us a Broadcom server. I don't care. We've already got thousands and thousands of HPEs or Dells. So how about no? I will say from the networking side of things, the hatred for Cisco on some accounts part is palpable. There are many people, <laughs> many companies out there that are very interested, engaged, have reasons that they would love to be away from that for their networking solution, which Broadcom could certainly readily answer. And having a tighter VMware integration could be interesting. Cisco's so sticky. I thought that a whole bunch of networking people would switch out Cisco switches for like Broadcom Trident 3. Remember when that came out? And it was kind of this thing that you could run open source switching software mm -hmm. on. And there were a whole bunch of brand new startup switching companies that all started up running basically variants of, of Linux that had fancy things, but they all ran on Trident 3s. That never happened. It was deeply weird. We had like two, like Arista did okay. Mm -hmm. And oh, there were a couple of other ones. And Cisco stayed there because CCIEs are welded to that ecosystem and you <laughs> cannot pry it away from them. Well, the C-suite is welded to the, the Cisco relationship. Account managers go hard about maintaining that relationship up top. Even if the engineers did want to change, it can be difficult because the C-suite says, yep. nah, I had lunch with someone and uh, they were going to stay Cisco this year and next year and the year after that. Which again, it's important to understand from the Broadcom VMware side that it's not just about the tech. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that isn't even that tech. It's There's a whole ecosystem of technology that isn't from that vendor that surrounds it. And there's a whole bunch of other non-technical things to do with operations and just the emotional attachment certain executives have to the way that they run things. Change is hard. Change is hard. And I think a lot of the folks who are now in senior positions or management positions today started their career with VMware. I know I started rolling out VMware in probably 2004, 2005-ish. That was a while ago. And if I'd stayed on the standard corporate track, I would definitely be in some upper management position right now. And I would have very fuzzy feelings about VMware. I would be, like you said, emotionally attached to it, whether that's valid or not. And so that would inform my decision-making process. Of course, Broadcom has made some recent changes 
that might sour that feeling depending on where I am and the size of my company. I know one of the things that they've done is sort of eviscerate the channel partner program. Have you been following that, Justin? Oh, yes. I was expecting there to be cuts. I wasn't expecting this kind of aggressive culling of essentially a large part of the traditional market for VMware. I have difficulty interpreting this as anything other than go away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that VMware wants all of these customers to go away. I, I was expecting that would happen, but it would be a bit more subtle where it would be slight pricing changes or it would just be less convenient and there'd be kind of a, a natural attrition because you're making money from them. Assuming that the costs are reasonable, then it's like, well, why would you say no to all this money? But they've kind of aggressively said, yeah, no, nah, we're not going to do that anymore. It's bold. So they're you know, basically re- asking all of the channel partners to reapply completely killing off, as far as I can tell, the the VMware cloud partners. I'm not even sure if they're having any VMware cloud partners come back. If they do, it's probably only going to be one or two. That's a smaller bit of the market anyway, because a lot of the SMBs don't really run the full cloud suite. But it is all evidence that points to Broadcom wanting the top 2,000 global customers and not much else. I think very recently... We heard that the cloud provider program is being reinstated under Broadcom. But like you said, it's really Mm. focused on a smaller number of folks being part of the program. And also it is laser focused on selling VMware Cloud Foundation. That's the SKU they want to sell. And they don't want the SKU bloat that was happening pre-acquisition. I agree that there were way too many SKUs. There were too many products. This happens in large companies. You get products sprawl after a while. Killing things is is hard. You do need to be a bit ruthless about it. These are not pets or children. They're just computer programs. <laughs> a lot of that was a distraction in VMware. I guess new management, new leadership can take a fresh look at it and decide, yeah, I don't care that that's the thing that one particular GM is welded to and that's Mm -hmm. their baby and they enjoy it a lot and they don't really have a purpose within the company unless this division exists. It's like, well, I don't care because I'm new. Maybe you're fired today. Welcome (laughs) to capitalism. So a lot of that does actually make sense to get rid of, particularly then to give in a regular company that I would enjoy would be, well, stop doing things you're bad at and spend more of that money on things you're good at and get better at it. Great. Sounds awesome. But in this case, the thing that Broadcom is really good at is squeezing money out of very large enterprises. And it's going to do that a lot more and get better at it. The downside is that if you're an existing customer in SMB commercial, anything less than global enterprise scale, you've probably got a lot of quite important things running on VMware. Mm -hmm. And now you've been made to feel deeply unwelcome. How are you going to deal with that? What are you going to do? This is not a trivial thing. This is infrastructure. Switching out VMware to something else is quite tricky. It's why Broadcom can get away with this with the large enterprises, because they are so deeply welded to this. It's embedded into an ecosystem of other components. You know, you've got backup, you've got operational monitoring, you've got a whole bunch of investment in training and expertise, you can't switch that out overnight. That's a big and risky project to do. But if you're a smaller (laughs) organization that isn't using the full stack, which is incidentally why VMware wants to do that, like it'll sell VMware Cloud Foundation because the big enterprises are more likely to use all the components. Mm -hmm. But if you're a mid-sized company, you don't need half of it. So you were quite happy to just pick and choose a few bits. Mm -hmm. Broadcom doesn't want you to pick and choose a few bits. It wants to sell you a full integrated package with big margins. And if 
that's not for you, but you've already got a lot of this product in your infrastructure, you're probably going to have to change it or find a way to pony up the really large dough that Broadcom is starting to ask. I've had reports from some of my sources of renewal quotations of two to three times what they were paying before, some substantially more, like going from low five figures into six figures on the renewal. I know that one of the things Broadcom did was get rid of perpetual licensing for VMware. Mm. So that was the model where I bought the licensing for my cores once, and then I'd have to buy service and support on a three to five year timeline. So I'd renew every few years the SNS, but the actual license itself, that was perpetual. And if I ever wanted to stop paying SNS, I wouldn't get updates, but I could just keep running the software license. And yep. Broadcom is moving to a services model where you, you don't buy the license, you rent it and you pay an annual fee to rent it. And so any of these agreements that are coming up, they're just saying, nope, you can't buy SNS anymore. If you want to have licensed ESX products, you're going to have to move over to our new licensing model. And it sounds like it's a little more expensive. Just a bit. It's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to move out? VMware owns your house. They're a landlord <laughs> and they have decided to increase the rent. So your choices are pay it or get out. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is unusual, I think. I mean, generally when you're building, like when you're picking a vendor and you're doing a partnership with them, you do have certain expectations of what the future behavior of a company will be. I guess this is a reminder that sometimes that can change really quite dramatically if someone else buys them and and changes things. But in terms of, I don't want to over-egg that, this is still a fairly rare situation. Like most vendors don't tend to treat their customers this way. Um, They don't change their mind overnight and suddenly decide that they don't want half the market. Or if they do and they say, well, we don't want this customer segment, we don't want this product line, they'll sell it to somebody else and then they'll just manage that. And VMware's doing a bit of that. So you know, they're getting rid of Carbon Black. They're getting rid of some of the end-user computing things. So people who have VMware end-user computing like Horizon, they'll have a new landlord who presumably still wants to rent them the house and charge them money. So you don't have to move out. Whereas for all of this other stuff, it's a much harder choice. Do you know if Broadcom had to leverage heavily to complete the deal? Or did they have a lot of cash on hand to make this purchase outright? I do not. That's a really good question. And I'm kicking myself that I don't have that information at my fingertips. You see my logic. The way they drive cash flow out of the VMware acquisition could be driven in part by how much they had to borrow to pull it off and how quickly they want to pay that back because reason, a million reasons why that would be important to them potentially. If I remember correctly, the early presentations when Hoktan initially announced this for investors showed that they were planning to double the profit of VMware over the next couple of years from, I think it was a 4 billion to an 8 billion number. And a lot of that had to do with paying back lenders, I believe. Someone can fact check me on that. But in terms of very aggressively seeking cutting costs and squeezing higher value customers, that was very clear from the presentation right away. And this is one of those situations where it's like that old tale of the fox who gives a viper or something a swim across a river and halfway through the river the snake bites the fox and he's like why did you do that and he's like well what'd you expect (laughs) the scorpion and the frog yes it's like why'd you do that it's in my nature welcome to capitalism this is what companies do this is what companies are for we've kind of been saying right along here that customers don't have 
a choice. It's VMware. You're living in their house. What are you going to do? Pay up or get out? And getting out's too hard, so you're going to pay up. Is it as simple as that, Justin? There are other action items, other paths that VMware customers could consider. Well, there's always choices. It's it's just some of them are more attractive or less attractive than others. Your choices are constrained because you have built a business on someone else's platform. Like you don't own VMware, someone else does. As you mentioned, they have altered the deal. They don't alter it any further. This can happen. Generally, when you set up these kinds of partnerships, you have lawyers who deal with contracts and write stuff into about what can and can't happen. But I mean, a contract is just a piece of paper. So it then comes into, well, how enforceable are all of the clauses in that? Have you got enough money to sue Broadcom and win and survive for however many years it might be? There are options there, but it's not good. It becomes a business decision about how much is this going to cost me to continue doing things the way they are? Okay, that cost has now increased. So if I want to change the way I do things, what is the switching cost to go and do something else? And then you're in basic business analysis type stuff about, okay, who's got leverage in this situation? Where is the power in this? Is it with suppliers or customers or with the vendor? It's like, well, for the very large enterprises, they have a lot more leverage because there's more money at stake. But oddly enough, they also have less leverage because of how dependent they are on VMware. Mm -hmm. This is always the risk of how dependent are you on any one vendor? Multi-sourcing is a thing, but people worry about lock-in. You know, there's a lot of talk about lock-in in cloud. It's like, well, there's a bit of lock-in on VMware as well. And this is what they mean is how many options do you have? Are you multi-sourcing? So if one supplier decides to jack their prices by 200%, can you switch to an alternative that also works? If you've got monoculture and you've only got one real supplier for a thing that you need to run your business, that supplier has a lot of power over you as a customer. That's what we have here. For the the mid-tier though, there's less power from broadcast. Like it feels like they have more power, but they kind of have less because switching away is actually a bit easier, which is why we're seeing people start to investigate alternatives like open source things like Proxmox or Nutanix and L computing. Nutanix is doing gangbusters legion at the moment. Like they're just rubbing their hands with glee. Yeah, I was curious what your thoughts were going forward. Maybe we could take two different perspectives. For those are in the SMB market and they're sort of looking at what just happened to their channel partner and go, oh, well, we got to do something when that agreement's up. What should they be looking at either as alternatives or strategies for dealing with this change? The first thing is to understand how big a problem do you have. Get an idea of how much value does this thing actually provide for you? How difficult would it be to switch away? Like how embedded is this in what what you do? And try to figure out, like put a number on that because you're going to be asked for a number. So if you don't understand how much value you're getting from this, it's difficult to know, is that number too high? Is it too low? Maybe you've actually been underpaying for a while. Maybe there is that much value being delivered to you that eh, it's worth paying the extra money. That's fine. You know, okay, no one likes their costs increasing, but inflation's a thing. Sometimes this happens. If it's worth it, then you can keep paying. And that's an easy decision to make. But then you've actually done it rationally without, rather than just being forced into a corner and feeling like you have no choice. Do your homework. Go and have a look at what value am I getting out of this? If you're thinking, okay, there's not actually a lot of value being delivered here, or I'm constrained and can't really afford paying more for this, well, then you need to start looking at alternatives. And that could be replatforming. It could be just 
cutting bits that you don't need, like some of the support stuff. If you have a perpetual license, do you need the patching? All this? Well, you know, security is a thing. And we just had some either vCenter server exploits that were patched a few back in October, I think, and now being exploited in the wild. Yeah, some big ones. Happens from time to time. So yeah, patching is probably a thing you're going to need. Have a real look at what do we need if we were to switch away? And then you can have a look at what are the viable alternatives to switch away to? And th there are some. Like Nutanix is a potential, particularly in SMB. There's also companies like Scale Computing. There's solutions like Proxmox. There's other alternatives. Like I mean, some customers a little bit more on the bleeding and, and bold edge who are looking at things like Kubernetes and KubeVirt. So mm -hmm. basically running virtual machines within Kubernetes, which is kind of weird and it's a strange <laughs> kind of inversion of how stuff should work in my mind. Uh, but if you're doing lots of <laughs> container work and you've only got a few VMs, yeah, maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Look into what that is and look, some of these other vendors will be more than happy to take your phone call. Do you think this will fuel any kind of public cloud growth? Because one of the other off-ramps is, well, let's just pick it all up and throw it in AWS or Azure. Yes, but that's kind of lift and shift. Like you thinking that that's going to save you money? Uh, yeah, probably not. Just running a VMware workload, but in the cloud is expensive. You're paying spot prices for a fixed workload. And the cloud stuff, the things that will run on site, like outposts. Outposts, yeah. And Azure Stack Hub. Azure Stack, Google has... Anthos. Anthos, that's right. Mm -hmm. They're not quite the same as VMware, you're just doing a lift and shift is tricky, as I mentioned before, depending on how embedded it is into your ecosystem. So mm -hmm. a thing that came up just yesterday is backups. So there was a story in the register by my good friend, Simon Sharwood, uh, who noticed that well, Veeam's head of engineering, Anton Gostev, uh, was commenting in the Veeam forums about, yeah, we're, we're looking at some alternative things like Proxmox. But if you're currently running VMware and all your backups are, are with Veeam, when you move to something else, will your backups still work? Now, if you go to cloud, it probably will because Veeam actually has a whole bunch of quite good solutions there, including ones that they just bought from Cirrus, uh, which is quite interesting. So you may have some options if you go to a major one, but what about all the other operational things? We're here on the day two cloud podcast. This is all day two stuff. Yep. How do you operate it? Where do your error logs go? Is it integrated into your monitoring for uptime? What are all those fiddly details that have built up over time that you're going to have to go change and then retrain all your ops staff to use the new tool? If you have to have a new tool, or will the tool you currently have work with the new thing? Like this is messy and complicated and you need to start looking at all this stuff now. That's a good definition of technical debt, fiddly details that have built up over time. <laughs> <laughs> Maximize cloud efficiency with Doit, the trusted partner in multi-cloud management for thousands of companies worldwide. Doit's innovative tools, expert insights, and smart technology make optimization simple. Elevate your cloud strategy and simplify your cloud spend. Visit doit.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. Doit, your cloud simplified. For me, the biggest barrier is not the technology, it's the people and process. You have these processes that have built up over the last 10, 20 years that are dependent on VMware in so many different ways. And people who, that's all they know. They know how to run VMware. If you happen to be an SMB and you're also running in one of the major public clouds, so you have someone with that skill set, might go a lot smoother. But if you don't, now you're retraining someone and the only thing they know is VMware. It might not be 
worth the cost of retraining that person. So that has to factor into that equation, that switching cost equation as well. Yep. All right. So absolutely. I think we've covered the SMB pretty well. It's something that ideally you would be doing all the time. Uh, but we know human nature is that, look, it's not broken, so why fix it? Like, it, it just sort of sits there, and as long as nothing strange happens, you just kind of tick over, and then you forget. Again, this kind of situation is somewhat rare. Rare. It's unusual, so people don't really plan for it. And it's I can't really criticise businesses for predicting the risk of this as being fairly low. Like, it did look like it was fairly low. But the, the challenge about risk is that unpredictable events or novel events aren't something that you have any history for. So you can't analyze risk unless you have a lot of history. There are no actuarial tables for Broadcom buying VMware. It has happened a grand total of one times. Mm -hmm. And like you said, for such a long time, VMware was the Switzerland of the infrastructure. So you could previously rely on them to just treat most of their customers well and run well on all the different hardware and People are mostly happy. I'm curious what your thoughts are on how enterprises should approach this change, because I'm imagining their approach is going to be very different than an SMB, but there'll be some similarities as well. I mean, the, the broad thrust is the same of how much is this going to cost me and is it worth it? So it's the same kind of analysis of how much value are we getting out of this? And when the re-up price comes through and we see the the size of the number, we we can have an idea about, are we just going to pay that or not? The one big difference for enterprise is, is this risk-weighted cost of a project. Like It's kind of the same at, at SMB in theory, but the detail and the impact is actually much, much bigger at enterprise because enterprise IT projects are fraught with peril. Most <laughs> of them fail. Yes. Either they go over budget, like you know, most IT projects go like 200% over budget, and some of them don't work. Like you get to a certain point, you just have to stop because it's not working and you kill it and go back to the way it was already. And then maybe try again later if you can stomach it. That needs to factor in for all the reasons that we just talked about. How do the backups work? How do all those fiddly details work? You've got a lot more fiddly details in enterprise. As much as enterprises and yep. you know, enterprise architecture loves to try to create one single standard that will apply to everything, but there's always exceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone manages to cozy up to the the CFO or the the CTO or CIO or whoever and says, oh, yeah, that project's important. They can have a pass and they don't actually need to use the corporate standard in this one way. And you do that a couple of hundred times and all of a sudden you've got a really, really interesting <laughs> portfolio to manage. And Bob's got a SQL server under his desk that's somehow production. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that never happens. <laughs> yeah. Ask me how I know. <laughs> so all of that. Like, okay, so that's that's the sort of situation of what if we were to change this? And we again, we come back to the nature of VMware. This is core infrastructure mm -hmm. and it's in a central position. It's not sort of out on the edge like a storage array. You can sort of, in theory, decide, are oh, we going to change storage vendor? And again, help happily because of VMware. In some ways, that's actually quite easy because the standards are there that we can swap out one for the other. It's not quite that simple. It's always a little bit more complicated. Right. But a storage array sort of sits out on, on one edge, whereas VMware is right in the middle. Mm -hmm. So if you change it, you affect everything upstream and also downstream. So how does your storage plug into whatever your new virtualization platform is? How do your databases run on this thing? How do the networks connect to it? How do all of the applications work on this? How does all the operation stuff work? So you're changing a central component that in enterprise runs all your important stuff. Swapping that out for something else, 
that's probably not going to happen. So it becomes more of a question of degrees. How much of our stuff are we going to continue running on VMware? Are there some R&D projects and Skunkworks things that maybe don't need the full stack that we are now going to have to pay for and pay every compute license? Mm -hmm. It becomes a bit like databases. Like, okay, we've got Oracle for all the really critical and important stuff and we need all the features and we love it. It's great. But your little R&D thing, yeah, that can run on Postgres. Right. Or that can be some open source thing until it gets big and important enough and then we'll port it across. Or we'll start buying that from someone else. Doing that with VMware is like, well, okay, maybe the core stuff all runs on VMware and we pay the full stack price and it's important, it's integrated. But the Skunkwork stuff, that all starts running on Proxmox. Or we put our R&D labs on something which is VMware compatible enough that when we need to promote it into production, okay, it comes across into the production VMware cluster that is really expensive. But to your point I think earlier, Ethan, do we go to cloud more? Maybe a whole bunch of the stuff that's being built will never come onto VMware. Mm -hmm. All the new stuff, I, like I can see in enterprise, if you weren't already thinking about containers and Kubernetes, you now have a really, really good motivation to do that. <laughs> Indeed. Because yeah. it's easier to put yep. it in cloud and you've got heaps of options. It's a big and open ecosystem. And a lot of it isn't welded to any one particular vendor. You've got lots and lots of choice. Mm -hmm. So if you're building a new app, why would you target VMs running on VMware? If you were targeting VMs, it wouldn't be a VMware-based one. It'd be some other generic AMI, like a machine image somewhere in the cloud that you can move around to any kind of hypervisor, or better yet, put it on a container. You can run those on just about anything. Absolutely. And I think the other thing to consider, at least in my experience, is a lot of the people who end up in enterprises get their start in an SMB. I mean, I came up through that ranks and learned VMware at the SMB and didn't bring it with me to larger enterprise jobs, but certainly brought the flair for it. And when I arrived at those larger shops, pushed the adoption of VMware. If we think about the pipeline over the next five to 10 years, if SMBs abandon VMware in favor of something else, that's eventually going to have an impact on the enterprise side as those people get promoted and move up into those positions at a larger organization. This has been the risk for VMware for a while, is that it becomes this heritage technology like all the other heritage technologies that we've had before, like mainframes and AS400s. That's why they were keen on investing in things like Tanzu, trying to invite developers, and they've worked really hard at it with you know, mixed success, trying to get developers to write new apps that target VMware-flavored Kubernetes. It's not going <laughs> that well. Like that's That's the area that if you're going to invest in, innovation in R&D, that's one of the big areas, um, along with cybersecurity, those are the two things that you want to be able to have to keep people building new stuff that targets the platform. Because if you don't succeed at that, everything new will go somewhere else. So you now just have a heritage thing that stays on and runs important things in the same way that mainframes do. And they stick around for a long time. And IBM makes a lot of money just renting Z-series to people. And they, you know, they create new mainframes and they it's a new version of it and it does a few new things. But all the new stuff is all running on OpenShift. It's all Red Hat. It's not the old school IBM stuff that people have, have grown up with. That's where I see VMware going if, with this current trajectory. Mm -hmm. It's very early days. So maybe 
they will be able to reinvest and and attract new workloads and stuff, particularly the mid-market. Maybe that'll target there. But there are a lot of SMB companies. Like just in sheer numbers, there are heaps more of them. There's only 2,000 in the global 2,000. There are a lot more companies (laughs) than that. So there are far more opportunities for something, like particularly like the next big new thing won't run on VMware. Maybe we already have that with a whole bunch of cloud native type things, you know, things that are born in the cloud. They run as software as a service apps. Who cares what the infrastructure is underneath it? It might be VMware, might not. Who cares? So if a new one is that, and if enterprises start getting used to the idea of targeting this new platform in the same way that they needed to get used to targeting VMware instead of bare metal systems. I remember when software vendors wouldn't certify their app to run on VMware because <laughs> yep. it was virtual and it was new and weird and no, we don't we don't trust that. Maybe now it's okay, we run on VMware, but we haven't certified our app to run on containers. Eh, well, that's gonna change. Yeah. If that happens, then VMware just becomes something which you run your legacy stuff on. And Broadcom will be quite happy with that, quite frankly, depending on what their overall plan is. So if they're delivering enough profit out of this to pay off the loans and make returns to shareholders substantial enough, great. They're not in the business of growing revenues in these things. They are mature industries where you are just milking the cow. Rent extraction. And if because if Broadcom wants to grow revenues, it buys another legacy company and (laughs) squeezes the revenues out of that. So it just buys more cows. Broadcom is a ranch operation. They buy some more cows and then they put them in through the same milking machine, feed them the same, and just sit back and make their money. Why not? Sounds great. Pretty cushy. (laughs) Well, Justin Warren from Pivot9, thank you for your analysis and your prognostication. If people want to interact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I hang out on LinkedIn a bit, uh, so you can find me there, Justin Warren. You can search for me and and Pivot9. Um, Also, we have a a weekly newsletter that I send out called The Crux, which I highly recommend you subscribe to, and that will give you all this kind of insight and snark on a a weekly basis. Uh, And if you are in the market for some advice on what to do about this situation, uh, we would be more than happy to talk to you about uh, how we can advise you and, and help you to navigate this very thorny challenge. We being Pivot9, Pivot9.com? Correct. Pivot9.com is where you will find us. And uh, there's a link there. You can just book a meeting with us and uh, we can have an introductory phone call and talk about your needs. Well, again, Justin Warren, thank you very much for coming on board at Day2Cloud for this analysis. And thank you for listening all the way to the end out there. Virtual high fives if you'd like to chat with me or Ned. I am Ethan Banks and Ned is Ned Bellavance. Use the Packet Pushers audience Slack channel and find your way into the Day2Cloud pod channel. And you say words in there and Ned or I shall respond eventually. You might also like to follow us on LinkedIn where we post techie things meant to help folks in their IT careers. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.